Sometimes in life, we get to desperate times. They can be maybe in a moment or a season. It could be because maybe of a change in our work of employment. Maybe we lose a job. We're at a position where we don't know how we're going to pay for the bills, make the house payment. Sometimes it could be times like Vince and Katie are in this morning and Maybe we're going through a sickness or a child is going through a sickness. Where it's desperate times where we feel helpless and we, we don't know what to do. Maybe it's because of a loss of a loved one that creates this desperate time in our life. What do we do? I mean, what do we, what do, we do in times like that? Because it's, it's real life. It's where the rubber hits the road. It's, it's where... Faith is, is tested. It's where we live. And in today's text, we see how two handle desperate times. It's in these desperate situations, though, that we see the power of God, the compassion of Jesus at work surrounding these two in particular. And we see in this text a resounding revelation that Jesus is truly God. We also see, though, the faith of these two and the different characteristics of faith in this text that God desires us to have in response to who he is. And so this morning, simply my prayer is that we would have faith like these two, that we would have faith in God who is all-powerful, who has authority and power over the wind and the waves, over the demons, over evil, over illness and sickness, and even over death. I pray that we would believe in that as a church. I pray that we believe that as individuals for everyday life, for whatever we face. And so today, if you would join with me as we walk through this text, um, Jesus, it says, has returned, okay? Well, where has he returned from, right? It says here that the people welcomed him in verse 40, for they had all been waiting for him. Now, most likely, these are people that have uh, heard Jesus before, seen him heal people before, or maybe have heard that he's healed people before, but they're all on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus has traveled from the southeast side where he was in the very pagan land, uh, in the, uh, how do you say the G word again, the Gerasenes. And he was in that region, and we saw him healing the man who was uh, demon-possessed. He had cast the demons into the swine. They jumped off the cliff. And now Jesus has left that territory now, sailed back over to this northwest side where these people are waiting for him. So what we see here, Jesus' popularity was big. It had grown. It continued to grow as people knew he could heal, wanted to be healed, wanted to maybe hear more from him. And so as he hits the shore, what do we see? We see ministry continuing. And this was just a normal day for Jesus. It was all about ministry. And as long as we are here on this earth, ministry will never stop. It never stops. It's every day, as long as there's need, spiritually and physically, ministry never stops. And so it is with Jesus, and also his disciples will see that as well. But this particular day, in this crowd, there's one in particular that shows up. And so look at verse 41, and there will be another that joins him in just a second. But a very desperate dad 
Listen to verse 41. There came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. He fell at Jesus' feet, began to implore or plead with Jesus to come to his house, for he had an only daughter who was 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. So here's Jairus. He's a leader in the synagogue, it tells us. That means he was kind of like a pastor, kind of like an elder, uh, a leader. He would organize the services theirs, uh, or excuse me, there. And it seems that he was a Jewish uh, believer. Uh, some Jewish leaders were not just cynics, critics, uh, and people that were against Jesus. Some of them um, believed in Jesus, believed in his works, believed what uh, he said he could do and who he was. Some believed. And so um, he knows that Jesus is coming this day. And he finds him there, just like there's a crowd gathered, he also is there to find and seek out Jesus. And he is in a very desperate situation. His only child, who happens to be a girl, is 12 years of age. Now, we don't know why that's the situation. Back then, it was very common for families to have many kids. And, and so, we don't know their situation. Did was this their only kid they ever had? Had they lost a child before? Whatever the case is, this current situation finds them with their only living child, a daughter, 12 years of age, and she is dying. Jairus leaves the side of, her dying, of his dying daughter with mom, maybe with some neighbors, some other family members, and he rushes to the shore. He gets to the shore, and what does he do? He falls at the feet of Jesus. And he pleads with Jesus to come to his house, believing that Jesus could change the situation. And what do we see with Jairus here? He loves his little girl. He'll do anything for her. He'll do everything he can. And that's what daughters are. Daughters are truly a gift from God. I know Greg was sharing this earlier when, uh, about Catherine um, and I remember when, when Grace was uh, to be born. I hope I, got the, I hope I got the right story for the right kid. But <laughs> anyways, I'm looking at Annette. But I remember, uh, yeah, this, yeah, this is the right one. All right. I remember, good night. 42 is kicking. All right, here we go. So I am, I'm standing there with Annette with the doctor, and we had gone for what I thought like a normal checkup. I'm with the right kid. Okay, here we go. Uh, Lady OB? Okay, all right. So we're, we're standing there, and I'll, I'll never forget, she, she turns and looks at Annette. This time we had one child, Noah. She turns and looks at Annette, and she says, um, what are y'all doing today? And I'm like thinking, hmm. And she's like, like, what are, like y'all, y'all want to have a, a baby today? And I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm just trying to think through all this. And, you know, my wife's like, yeah, you know, not, not really, but that's what she's really <laughs> like. And I'm thinking, like, today? Like, we want to do this today? And I'll never forget, I mean, my wife tells it better. I mean, I just turned like a ghost. I turned like white, like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have a little girl to, today? And I'll never forget um, Holden Grace. Um, I'll never forget Holden Eliana. Um, and there's something, I love my boys, but there's something those girls do 
there's something they just do, man, to dads. Um, and we're blessed, and then I to be parents of two daughters, but I could not imagine the scene, could you? Could you go there emotionally and just imagine what that would be like? Your child, your dad, your daughter is dying. It's a desperate situation, a very desperate situation that Jairus finds himself in, but he'll do anything. He'll do anything for her. And he goes to find Jesus. Now, Jesus has different people around him. Can you imagine this scene? Probably hundreds of people around him. He loves them all. He's got some that are sick, maybe some sick with cancer. Maybe some are blind. Maybe some are paralyzed. Maybe some have leprosy maybe there. Maybe some are depressed. Maybe even some demon-possessed. Maybe some critics, I would say, of course, are there. And he can only be at one place at one time. And so who will he serve? And so he goes with Jairus back to his house, and the crowd is doing what? They're pressing against him. So just kind of visualize that scene. And look what happens, because one other in the crowd that day besides Jairus comes to Jesus as well. And look what happens in verse 43. A woman who had hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind Jesus, touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Just like that. As Jesus is on his way back to Jairus' house, this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, believed to maybe have broken blood vessels, whatever it was, it was this continual flow of blood. Possibly this, this woman was experiencing what, what women experience monthly. Possibly she was experiencing daily. And so can you imagine this for 12 years? Amazing. She reaches out. And she touched Jesus' outer clothing, and immediately it stops. What she had experienced for 12 years stops, just like that. I think about this woman for a second. We don't know why she's in this condition, but we do know that, no doubt, she was probably in great discomfort. She was greatly inconvenienced. She was viewed as unclean, especially by the Jewish culture, no doubt. She was embarrassed. That's where this lady is day to day. No one could fix her condition. Mark 5, 26 tells us that she had spent all she had to try to fix her condition, and nothing helped. Nothing. This lady is desperate. She's destitute. She is lonely. She's impoverished. No one has touched her, laid a hand on her for 12 years. She's suffering in isolation. She eats alone, probably has no children, most likely. Maybe never was able to have kids. If she maybe was married, she's probably divorced now. We don't know the situation, but those are all possibilities. She probably has no money. She's alone. She's sick. She's suffering. I remember as a young kid, my brother and I and our mom would go and visit a gentleman uh, down on Erie Street, down in old downtown Carrollton, uh, where the old uh, First Baptist Church of Carrollton used to be back in the day. And I remember there was a white house that uh, a man by the name of Ira lived in. Ira was this uh, sweet man. I I forget where he was from. I don't know if it was Africa or somewhere from the Caribbean. But he was just a sweet old man. And we would go and, and take food to him. And I just remember every time we'd go, Ira, um, what I noticed about him was his hands. 
and his fingers, and they were pretty much just, just halfway gone at both of them. And when we first met him, I remember walking to his house, and I can even remember today how his house would be dark, and he was always by himself. And I remember on a couple occasions we'd come, he'd come to the door, we'd hand him uh, something to eat, and he'd come out, and he would just smile and want to talk because people. And it was like the sunlight would beam on him, and his eyes would, would kind of go like that. And, and it made me think of this woman, lonely, suffering. That's what Ira was like and, and faced, and eventually he would become paralyzed, Ira would, and eventually physically his health would fail, and he passed away, and I'll never forget, but I, I remember him just at times thinking, man, here's a guy that suffered, uh, a lot of times in, alone, alone, and this lady was like that. Um, one of the things I love about the ridge in the heart of this body is uh, every Sunday right across the street at Autumn Leaves, uh, there are men and women serving over there for the last 11 to 12 years. I've been doing, a, even right now, doing a worship service, singing songs, uh, teaching those over there who struggle with dementia and Alzheimer's, uh, ministering to them, ministering to their family. But just think of those at times uh, isolated, lonely, suffering. Um, but I appreciate so much the heart of our people that continue to minister over there to give hope, just a glimmer of hope, even if they don't even understand or pick up, just to give them hope by presence. Um, I love it. This woman has hope in this moment because Jesus is in town, and when she gets to him, she reaches out and she does what? She touches him. What is that? That's faith, right? But this is risky. I mean, think about this. This woman is unclean. She reaches out. She touches Jesus' outer cloak with the fringes, by the fringes, and that's a very risky move because the Bible tells us, Leviticus does back then, that, hey, listen, if it is viewed and seen that if you touch somebody in the condition that she is in, you're going to make them, their clothing, unclean. And so this is a very risky move, but that's what faith is. Faith involves risk, and this woman takes the risk to contact Jesus just by his clothes, believing that by her touch, God could change her condition. And that's what happens. Immediately, the power of God is unleashed on this woman, and the bleeding stops. Immediately, just like that, Jesus cleanses her. What power Jesus has. It's amazing over the last couple of weeks, you think about what we've seen in Luke 8. The power of Jesus to calm winds and waves. We think, wow, Jesus can do big things like that. He can overcome evil and the demons. Wow. But here we go down to our life, the day-to-day, our circumstance, our situation. And here's this lady just reaches out by faith, trusts that Jesus could change her situation. And just like that, the power of God changes her circumstance. Jesus says to the crowd, who is the one in verse 45 who has touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowning and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. So here is Jesus. There's tons of people bouncing up against him and touching him. And and Peter's like, hey, dude, a lot of people are touching you. But he's like, no, 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 this is different. 
And so isn't that interesting to think about? A lot of people were touching Jesus that day, but there was something different about this lady. By the sovereignty of God, God had chosen this lady to be healed, and this lady's faith is evident that day. Out of the whole crowd, her touch, God was willing to heal her. I think two things Jesus is doing here by trying to figure out who touched me I think the first thing, he's trying to help this lady. Uh, this lady's been cured, and he wants it to be publicly known so she can be let back into social life as one who's now clean and not viewed as unclean. Second, um, Jesus wants to identify her so he could possibly strengthen and encourage her faith. By her faith, the power of God had been drawn out of Jesus without his conscious selection of her, but God graciously determined to heal her through the power that was active in Jesus. And so Jesus wants to help this lady get back into social life. Second, also to encourage and strengthen her faith. And that's what happens. Look at verse 47. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling. She's afraid, right? She's overwhelmed. She's excited. I mean, this is a mixed emotion time. And she falls down before Jesus and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. She was found out. She falls before Jesus, publicly reveals why she touched Jesus, shares about her condition, how she was healed. So what does the woman do? She shares her story. She lets the people know where she once was and now where she is. Once unclean, now clean. Once sick, now healed. That's what Jesus wants from us, right? He wants us to let the crowd know that we've been healed, that we've been saved, that we've been taken from being unclean to clean. And that's what this lady does. I love this too because here's Jesus. He's surrounded by hundreds. He's on his way to help somebody else, Jairus. Remember, we're still going to Jairus' house. And he is willing to be what? Interrupted. He's willing to be stopped, to take time to help this lady, to help her back into social life, to help encourage her faith. He's willing to be interrupted. He's willing to listen to her story. He's willing to share some face-to-face time with this lady. You imagine two things here. You imagine the crowd. Remember, there's many in the crowd that day probably wanting what this lady wants. I mean, this lady is probably like, if only this would change, life would be better, right? And probably many in the crowd were probably thinking the same thing. If only this thing would change, life would be better. Probably many of them felt like nobody cared about them. Probably many of them hopeless. But here they see on this day one who gives them hope, one who cared about them, one who loved them, one who was willing to stop, one who was willing to listen, even give them the time of day. And that was Jesus. Jesus takes time for others. He always puts the interest of others before his own. And we don't see that today, do we? We live in a very me, myself, and I society. Every minute of the day, 
If we've got a moment, what do we usually do? We're, we're on our phones, right? Jesus, instead of being distracted by other things in the world, Jesus allowed himself to be distracted by needs. Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted by needs. And he was willing to help. And that's what Jesus does for this lady. He looks at this lady, verse 48, he says to her, daughter, wow, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Here's this woman. She doesn't have a gyrus, guys, right? She's lonely. She's destitute. She doesn't have anyone standing with her, fighting for her, right? She doesn't have this father who has run all the way to the shoreline to get help. She's on her own. And here in this moment, Jesus calls her daughter. Wow. Can you imagine after 12 years, unclean, viewed by society as someone who they don't have anything to do with, and you get healed, and then on the same day, you hear Jesus say to you, daughter. Wow. Wow. He lets this lady know that she is safe. She lets this lady know she's loved cherished and adored and no doubt letting this lady know that she's part of the family of God this isn't just some flippant turn here that Jesus uses this is big this is huge daughter part of the family of God you see this faith that this lady had no doubt saving faith as well not just is she unclean from her condition but now she is made clean spiritually. And I think that's one of the things that Jesus wants to teach here is not just that he came to physically clean people, but that he came to forgive a sinful, broken, destitute, desperate, sick, unclean world. He came to forgive and to cleanse. The Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, so that we could become what? The righteousness of God in him. Martin Luther calls that this great exchange. Jesus gets my uncleanness, my sin. I get cleansed and forgiven. And he looks at us, and he calls us daughter. And he looks at us, and he calls us sons. And he gives us peace, spiritual peace, peace with God. That's what Jesus does. He makes people well. That's why he came. He died on the cross to save us. And he looks at this woman and says, go in peace. But I want you to see what else was happens real quick. Look at 49. While he was still speaking, interesting here, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. This person who came and did this had the spiritual gift of tactfulness. <laughs> like, Wow. Thank you. But imagine that. Jairus standing there. He sees this woman healed. Can you imagine maybe the hope billowing up in him? The, oh man, maybe we're going to my house. Maybe what he's doing for this lady, he can do for my daughter. And then all of a sudden, slap in the face. You guys ever been there? 
in that moment. Your hope is here. It's at a 10. And then all of a sudden, knocked down to a 1. Just like that. I couldn't imagine hearing the news that one of my little girls had died. I can imagine Friday morning Santa Fe, Texas. Could you imagine that? Parents getting that call that your daughter, your son has, has died. Wow. See, this is real life. This is, this is real life stuff. Can you imagine what's going through Jairus' head here? I wasn't there. I didn't get to say goodbye to her. I didn't get to tell her I love her. I mean, this is traumatizing. This is, this is earth-shattering where I would be at a loss. I, I don't know... I don't know how he handles himself here. And so what does Jesus do? How will he handle this? Look what Jesus does in this moment in verse 50. It says, but when Jesus heard this, and isn't, isn't Jesus just amazing here? <laughs> He's going to Jairus' house. He gets interrupted by this lady. He tends to her, heals her, cares for her, loves her. This news comes in. He recognizes it. I mean, that's like, whoa, 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 right? And he looks and he says, but. Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. Fear is real. Fear is real, and especially in a situation like this. In this moment, it could have been easy to say, nothing could change this situation. I'm not going to go with Jesus. I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to give up. I'm going to give in to fear and run back. A panicked mess, I mean, that's probably where many of us would go, right? But faith in this situation that Jesus is calling for has got to say, I got to get Jesus, I got to grab this guy, we got to get his help and believe that he will make a difference, even though we've heard this news. And so Jesus is inviting Jairus here to have faith over fear in this circumstance. And that's tough at times. Jairus has just experienced the healing of this woman. He's just seen this. And now Jesus wants him to have faith like this lady. That Jesus can change his daughter's situation. For some of us this morning, Jesus is calling us to have this kind of faith. Instead of fear. Maybe there's a circumstance in your life, in the moment that you're in, where you feel desperate. You feel helpless. And sometimes it's full speed ahead faith, like the ladies seem to have, grabbing Jesus' cloak. But sometimes it's faith that's patient and waiting. Like Jairus is going to have to wait in this moment. Go to the house and wait on the Lord. Trust him. And then when he came to the house in verse 51, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the girl's father and mother. And now they were all weeping, lamenting for her. You imagine that. They see her there. It's a time of grieving. But he said to them, stop weeping, for she has not died but is asleep. And they begin laughing at him, knowing that she had died. So Jairus, in the moment, he chooses faith to go back with Jesus to his house. As they arrive there, they find the daughter um, overwhelmed with grief. She is dead. And Jesus tells them, stop weeping. She hasn't died, but she's asleep. Now, sometimes they would use the word asleep to refer to death. 
So what is Jesus saying here? Because surely she is dead. I think what Jesus is saying here is something of hope. He's prepared to waken her from her death. But they laughed. They laughed, knowing she had died. And so what do we see about their faith? Their faith is not perfect, right? But remember, Peter, John, James, Jairus, they saw the healing of the woman. They've seen the power of Jesus already in that day, just moments ago. But here they are doubting. And isn't that true of our faith at times? Where it goes like this, almost like a roller coaster. And in this moment, that's kind of what we see. This is an opportunity for their faith to grow. And that's what Jesus does through real life circumstances. Is he strengthens and grows our faith. And then in verse 54, he, Jesus, however, took her by the hand, called, saying this to the daughter, child, arise. And her spirit returned to her body. She got up immediately. He gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Wow. Jesus comes and gives life to this daughter who was dead. Power over the wind and waves, power over demons and evil, power over sickness and illness, and now power over death, calling her spirit, her soul, to return to her physical body. She gets up and immediately eats, and her parents are blown away. Wow, wow, a miracle. Jesus is powerful to raise people to life physically, and this foreshadows what he will do in the future it also correlates and speaks to what he is doing now. This is what Jesus does. He not only cleanses, but he raises lives. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter two, four through six, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, dead because of sin. Jesus made us alive together with him and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places. What does that mean? That Jesus can take each one of us who are broken by sin and rebellion, who have been devastated because of sin, and he can heal our hearts and cleanse us and raise us to life. To be seated with him, what does that mean? That's a present situation. It means to call a son and daughter, that we are in his family. He does that for us now, taking us from death to life. It also speaks of what he's going to do in the future, that one day when Jesus returns, he is going to give you and I new bodies. We, though our souls, if we have died when he returns, or our souls are not with our bodies anymore, he on that day when he returns will take our bodies and he will raise them and make them new and join our souls with them to live with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. It's our destiny. And that's what this is a foreshadow of. And that's what we await one day. So today, <laughs> have you been cleansed? 
Have you been made alive? That's what Jesus wants to do for all of us. He has power to change our lives, to take us from being devastated, sinful, and broken, to make us now alive and new, forgiven, cleansed. That's what he does. How is your faith today? Are you believing like this lady did? Are you reaching out in, for Jesus when things get tough, when things get hard? Are you reaching out in faith? Are you believing like this dad did, willing to run, go to Jesus, knowing that he's the only one who can help his daughter? His faith wasn't perfect, but he believed that Jesus could change his circumstance. Do you believe that today? I want you to believe that he can because we've seen he most definitely can change any circumstance. He has the power to do that. Most of all, he wants to change our hearts, to give us spiritual life, that we would live for him and walk with him and trust him through whatever may come, whatever may come. Let me pray.